Yeah. Anyway, we're doing a podcast. Anyway, we're doing a podcast. Anyway. Anyway. Just blew a bubble. Why don't you sing about it a little bit, Deanna? We're doing a podcast. It's gonna be great and hopefully you like it. I don't need, that's not even a cohesive melody. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's improv jazz. It's, it's, I'm going, I'm going Coltrane on everybody's asses. I like it. I almost got man. Okay, y'all, shut up. Men in the room, shut your mouth. Let the ladies do some talking. Jesus Christ. I mean it, you motherfucker. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your list, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be best. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hannah, hello. Hello, Deanna. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back. Reel it in. Um, let's um, let's talk about some some stuff. We've got some shit to talk about today. Yeah, we're not playing around. No, maybe we're playing around a little. But first, before we do what we did last week, let's tell everybody what this podcast is about. This is a podcast. Its name is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. And what do we do on this podcast? We talk about ladies and their friends. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say last week you said ilk, and I appreciated that word. Ladies uh, and their kind. And their kind. From then and from now and from not the future, we've already determined we we've don't determined. know how to go there yet. As soon as we do know how to go there, we'll tell you about some <sighs> mm-hmm. awesome ladies from the future. Mm-hmm. Yes. But until then, until you'll then. just have to stick with what we fucking give you. That's right. Yeah, so fucking shut up. God. Okay. Uh, today, mine is a little bit longer. <laughs> Antagonize much. <laughs> I know. So we're not doing an intro. Yeah. Just hello, everybody. Welcome. Let's just dive right the fuck in. Yeah. Keep up! You're gonna like it! Oh. oh, yeah, popcorn. Popcorn. What? Are we thinking? Oh, I see. Yes. Thank you to Karen uh, Ben's mama for delicious popcorn snacks. She sent us podcast <laughs> pod- podcorn. <laughs> Podcorn! <laughs> yes. Oh and my it was God. very sweet and it's Halloween themed mm-hmm. and it is mid October now. Hell yeah. And we are ready for Halloween. Fuck yeah. I'll tell you that much. Yes. And in fact, I'm very ready um, with, my, with my people today. <laughs> ah! Yes. So it's October, uh, what is it? October 12th, I think? No, October 10th. Yeah, three it's plus October seven. 10th. <laughs> Shh. I couldn't think of it either. Okay. You're making fun of me. I wasn't talking shit at you. I was trying to remind myself how to do math. Thank you. Yes. Uh October 10th. Um, Which means it's, you know, a little bit into October. Yeah. But it is still Hispanic Heritage Month. Whoop, whoop. So I'm um, combining that a little bit. And you will recognize Uh this. So... Just to preface say, this uh-oh. a little bit, you know, <laughs> just to preface this a little bit. So Ben and I started watching Dark Tourist. Oh, fuck. Recently. God damn it. <laughs> so I won't spoil. That was my what I'm excited about this week, you bitch. That's fine. You can still be excited. I'm only spoiling one little thing. <laughs> this is a very hostile episode. <laughs> Shit. So it's just... You know, I was I was really fascinated by one aspect of the first episode. So if you haven't watched the first episode, the rest of it is still fair game. You can still watch it and not have any spoilers. But um, I had never heard of Santa Muerte. And <laughs> yes, I like Alex's head nod like, ah, yes, ah, yes. Um, and so I was really fascinated by that little segment. And I decided to look into it further. And I found that there are two women who are sort of responsible for bringing it, um, bringing this religion of Santa Muerte around in the last like two decades. So today I'm talking about the women who are responsible for creating the fastest growing religion across the Americas, Enriqueta Vargas and Enriqueta Romero. Both of them have the same first name. Um, but Enriqueta uh, Romero is also known as Dona Keta. Ah, yeah. So you'll recognize her from Dark Tourist. So before I jump into the story, I want to talk a little bit about Santa Muerte and what, what that is. Um, and she is the saint of death in 
like the Mexican Catholic uh, faith. And um, so I found this really interesting article from catholicnewsagency.com, which, yeah, is kind of funny because it talks about the history of Santa Muerte, um, and it and it's, talks about it very rationally, but um, they also put a bit of a spin on it to kind of make you go, no, 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 Santa well, Muerte's bad. Of course. So they, um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to read a little bit of an excerpt. They cite um, Andrew Chestnut, who is somebody who is considered kind of an expert on... Santa Muerte and the religion as a whole. So he's cited through a lot of the articles that I found. Um, so if I say Chestnut says, that's why I'm saying that. Um, but he wrote a book called Devoted to Death, Santa Muerte, the Skeleton Saint. So if you're interested, that book is out there. Um, but yeah, so here's this excerpt. Uh, it says... Extract. Extract, <laughs> if anyone even remembers that. Harkening um, back. <laughs> Harkening back. I don't even know to which episode. Anyway. The Wilhelmina Fleming. Right? Oh, that's right. Yes, Wilhelmina Fleming. Boom! Oh, Damn. Well done. I'm surprised that that just happened. <laughs> I didn't even. I was like, man, I don't know. Um, so, although she has recently exploded in popularity, Santa Muerte has been referenced in Mexican culture since Spanish colonial times. Okay. When Catholic colonizers looked to... Uh, I'm going to go back. I think I read that wrong. Oh, yeah. When Catholic colonizers looking to evangelize the native people of Mexico brought over their female Grim Reaper figures as a representation of death. Um, but the Mayan and Aztec what? cultures, yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing either. But it kind of makes sense because, like, those cultures were always looking to villainize women in some way. And so, you know, women as figures of, like, death and destruction would make well, sense. Well, I mean, yeah, because you have Eve and Lilith and they're the original... Yep bad bitches mm -hmm. yep but the mayan and aztec cultures already had death deities hmm. and so the female skeletal figure became adopted into the culture as a kind of hybrid death saint Ooh. so instead of being this figure of you know death and destruction and horrible stuff they um you know brought her into the faith they already had and looked at her as a bit more of a benevolent figure so right. she's, she's also mentioned twice in the historical records of the Inquisition when Spanish Catholic inquisitors found and destroyed a shrine to Santa Muerte in central Mexico. And after that... Bastards. Mm-hmm. That's rude. It's fucking rude. Um, and after that, she disappeared from historical records for more than a century, only to resurface Whoa. in a relatively minor way in the 1940s. Um, and so Chestnut says, from the 1940s to the 1980s, researchers exclusively report Santa Muerte being invoked for love miracles, which I don't even know Interesting. Like, what that means. But basically, like he says, women um, asking the folk saint to bring back their cheating husbands, uh, like stuff like that. Because they think of them as lost or whatever. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. So... She then faded into obscurity for a few more decades until, apparently, according to CatholicNewsAgency.com, I mean, this makes sense, um, until the drug wars brought her roaring back. Hmm. Um, despite her condemnation from on high, Santa Muerte remains increasingly popular among criminals, drug lords, and those on the fringe of society, as well as cultural Catholics who maybe don't know or care that she is condemned by the church. Um, Chestnut says she's basically the poster girl of narco-satanic spirituality. Um, and keep Hot. in mind, yeah, he is also, um, he's a theologian and researcher who is also Catholic. He's like a professor at a Catholic university. And so he comes from it, he comes at it from that perspective, even though he's a little bit more open-minded than the rest he has much more of like an anthropological yeah. viewpoint on yeah. it. Yeah. But he's still Even though he's also a theologian. Right. Yeah. He's still calling it narco-satanic spirituality, which isn't really what it is now. Um, but so according to his estimate, Santa Muerte is the fastest growing religious movement in the Americas, and it's all happened in the past ten to fifteen years. That's cool. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's it's grown so fast. Um, she was unknown to 99% of Mexicans before 2001 when she That's went, most of them. <laughs> that's most, yes, 99%. That's pretty much all of them, yeah. Um, now he estimates that there's some 10 to, tw uh, 10 to 12 million devotees, mostly in Mexico, but also significant numbers in the United States and Central America. And there is a large group in New York that 
is considered, you know, they're devotees. They consider themselves devotees. And there's a documentary, um, which I believe is called La Flaca, which is one of her names, her colloquial names. Um, I will have Probably to... Probably because she's a skeleton, right? Yes. So she's skinny? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes, but it's a full-length documentary. I think there's a trailer on YouTube. And they profile um, somebody who's sort of unofficially the third uh, bringer, uh, bringer backer of Santa Muerte, and that's Aureli Vasquez. Harbinger? <laughs> sure, yes. Um, Just... I like that word. <laughs> In this context, yeah, we'll go with it. Mm. Thanks, Hannah. So part of the attraction to Santa Muerte, as several sources familiar with the de- devotion explained, is that she is seen as a non-judgmental saint that can be invoked for some not-so-holy petitions. Um, Chestnut says, I, what I think is really special about this movement, though, is that it's not actually about finding a way to absolve oneself from judgment after or before a crime spree. No. It's, no. It's about making peace with death and asking for protection on one's journey to death. Um, even though the Catholic Church is kind of like, no, don't do it. Don't worship her. She's terrible. She's a demon. You don't know what you're doing. It's a cult. It's a satanic cult. I mean, that's what they keep saying. Well, clearly it's not satanic because it's branched from Catholicism. That's not satanic. That's, but Catholics love to pull the a satanic panic nonsense. They fucking love it. Um, no offense to my family. <laughs> or a lot of, yeah, a lot of families. Um, where was I? Oh, <laughs> so though people have been worshipping in secret for many, many years, in 2001 is when it started to come out into the open. So first um, I'll what talk about... What was the catalyzing event? There are two. <laughs> and they happened sort of like independently of one another, which is, which is really interesting. She really resurfaced then. She, mm-hmm, yeah. She wanted herself to be known. Damn straight. She didn't want to fade into obscurity. Yeah. Well, so you know a little bit about um, Dona Keta. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's who I'm going to start with. She jump-started the movement in the barrio where she lives, Tepito. Tepito is known for being a violent and poverty-stricken place, one of the most violent places in Mexico. Is she in Mexico City? I forget it's that. Out, I believe it's outside of Mexico City. Uh-huh. Um, but just barely. Okay. Um, which might explain why the worship of Santa Muerte has grown so much there in the last two decades. So um, this is a little bit of stuff from the Huffington Post. Um, again, Andrew Chestnut is, you know, his research and his quotes are kind of throughout this. Um, but they say, or uh, he wrote, um, Donna Keta is the devotional pioneer who unintentionally transformed an occult practice known to very few Mexicans into the burgeoning devotion that claims some 10 to 12 million members, mostly in Mexico, Central America, and the U.S. Um, it was the act of setting her life-size statue of the skeleton saint out onto the sidewalk in front of her modest home on Halloween 2001 that marked the public outing of the clandestine folk saint. So she had been worshiping in private, like forever, but she finally was like, I have this, I have this thing and I'm going to put it out on the sidewalk and whoever wants to pray can. Um, and she had no idea that it was going to take off, take off and become a thing for people. Um, she is incredibly vivacious. She has this like streak of white hair against like stark black, you know, shortcut. Um, you would recognize her through any crowd. I she's mean, very warm. She's very warm. Yeah. And open. Yes. Very warm, very open. Um, her house is full of effigies. Um, she's been a worshiper for many years. And so she, in 2001, she decided it was La Flaca's time to shine. To make it to 72 years old in Tepito is quite a feat, even more so when cancer strikes. Is she really 72? And and this was um, Huff, Huff Post um, to 2016, I think. So she's like 74 now. That woman looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I know. It's really <laughs> crazy. And she's been through two bouts of cancer. All right. So she first beat throat cancer, and then she beat lung cancer, which she That's credits. That's not an easy one to beat. No. I mean, in the, in the episode of um, Dark Tourist, she talks about she has cancer during the filming of that episode, which I believe was in 2016. And, um, and she talks about how it's, it's my cancer, and I love my cancer, and, you know, it was given to me, and it is what it is, and, and I get it, you know, 
I get what it is and I understand it. And if it claims my life, then it claims my life. And that's that. And I will accept that. And I'll be okay with it. interesting way to think about it. It's so fascinating. I mean, I've never heard anybody talk about like an illness in that way. It's always like, I got to beat this illness. You know, I can, I, I need to find the strength to beat whatever this thing is that's attacking my body. And she sees it, um, much more as like, this is something that I've been gifted and either it's to, you know, force me to, um, overcome it, overcome it. Or if it claims my life, then that's what it's meant to do. And that's also okay. Huh? So yeah, it's like I don't know how I feel about that. It's not, it's not good or bad, right? I it have, just it's just interesting. It is what it is. It's not something that she fears. So yeah, she's clearly come to terms with death. Yeah, in a very specific way. Yes, I mean she really sees it as like, um, you know, the bony lady is going to, and that's another colloquial term for her, um, but that she's going to protect her and guide her no matter what. So even if she does Either die, to death or beyond, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So in, yeah, in June 2016, her husband Ray and her brother were victims of an early morning assassination attempt by Sicarios on a motorcycle. Um, well, it clearly wasn't an attempt. It was successful. I, I think they were, I believe they were trying to do someone else. Oh. I don't know. It's kind of hard to know because in Tepito, that's something that happens a lot. That's unfortunate. It's just, it's so just a, a reality. I mean, a lot yeah. of the people who wrote articles about her um, were Americans or white Americans who were going down there to talk about her and, and profile her. And they were told, like, you need a guide and you need to not stand in one place for too long. And, you know, you need to just be very careful because these things happen all the time. Um, so she canceled her rosary devotional that month because she does one every month, but devotees came to her sidewalk shrine anyway, and they, um, offered as they do every year, bags of weed, (laughs) cigarettes, alcohol, candy. Um, they crawl on their knees from the end of the street to the shrine to pay their respects. Um, kind of like an act of sacrifice in its own way. Yeah, because that would be painful. It's painful. Um, to walk on, like, gravel, yeah, concrete. To, like, n- yeah, on, your, on knees your knees. For, like, a whole block. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't sound like something I'd be in. Every year on um, the day after the Day of the Dead, people gather outside her sidewalk shrine, and, like, she brings out these huge sheet cakes, and they have a little party, and, you know, it's really a joyful kind of thing. Yeah. So the fact that the Catholic Church is like, no, it's the devil. It's the most horrible thing you could do. It's like... Mm. The devil works in mysterious ways, Hannah. Uh, I guess so. I always <laughs> forget. Because I'm... Sometimes. Afflicted uh, with my own Because demons. the Catholic Church is very specific. Like, oh, it seems like a good thing, but the devil is sneaky. Yeah, the devil is like, trying to get you. shut it up and let people be people. <laughs> if people only. are people, so what should it be? <laughs> <laughs> you and Ash. Okay, sorry. Okay. So the other woman credited with spreading the word about Santa Muerte is Enrique, uh, Enriqueta Vargas, or Death's Evangelist, as I've seen her called. Death's Evangelist? Uh-huh. Yeah, she's been, cat. I know you're going to bite me, and I don't want that. Go away. Um, <laughs> I just saw the look on his face, and I'm like, you're going to eat me, and I know it. Um... So, yes, so she's been called Death's Evangelist, and she took over as the head of Santa Muerte International just outside of Mexico City in a in a town called, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Ecatepec, E-C-A-T-A-P-E-C. I don't know, but that's where she Spell is. it again? E-C-A-T-A-P-E-C. Nope. Got nothing. But it's um it's just outside of Mexico City. So her son, known as Commandant Pantera, or Commander Panther, mm. Jonathan Lagaria, founded Santa Muerte International and built a huge 75-foot fiberglass statue of Santa Muerte there. 75 foot? 75 foot. It's fucking humongous. I think it's the biggest one that there is, um, obviously, because it's huge. And every month... Thousands of people stop by to make their petitions to the effigy. Um, They leave offerings 
such as flowers, cigarettes, bags of cocaine, uh, you know, as you do, cocaina. To these worshippers, Santa Muerte is a powerful miracle worker capable of offering prosperity, protection, or vengeance. Um, the vast majority of them are law-abiding citizens. Uh, you know, of course, of course, most they are. people are. Yeah. So <laughs> despite the fact that the Catholic Church is like, it's only a narco-satanic cult or whatever Andrew Chestnut called it, it really is like, it's a movement that mostly people who don't give a shit about crime are involved in. Well, also, here's the thing about like the, the gifts offered up. Those things are very valuable because they're, one, hard to come by. It's illegal. So yeah. giving them up when you came by them illegally in the first place, it's like, a, I see what it is. It's like, this yeah. is important because I di- it's not just something you can go by at the store. It's something that takes extra effort to get. Right. So Yes, exactly. Not that I'm supporting that situation, but I, I'm just saying it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's meaningful. Yes. It's not just like, oh my God, these druggies are putting their drugs at the base of whatever. That, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it is. It's meaningful. Um. So yeah, so, so the media has often portrayed the devotion as a narco cult and highlighted the discovery of Santa Muerte imagery in the raided homes of drug traffickers. Um, Mexican authorities have subscribed to this view, and the army routinely destroys Santa Muerte shrines along the U.S. border. Ligaria... But it would make sense for her to have shrines along the border. Right, but if if you think, if you believe that seeing something like that is evidence that there are, you know, fucking drug mules there, or have been there, like, I don't know, if you really honestly are that fucking pig-headed and you believe that shit, you're going to knock that shit over because you think you're destroying images of Satan. You know? Sure. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I think it's fucked up, but it's, that's what they do. Um, so Ligaria, the founder, faced a hostile local environment, which instructed him to remove his giant statue because it broke building regulations, um, and he refused to follow the order. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, he didn't, he, he definitely, like, had his own issues. He had a self-published book. He had a couple self-published books. One was, um, Santa Muerte Revelations, which outlines several spiritual rituals, including one for the extermination of enemies (laughs) and another for criminals looking to avoid arrest. Mm. You know, so there was, like, he wasn't, I'm sure you have specific feelings about self-published authors in the first place. Like what? Oh, I don't know. It just seems like a very ballsy move to make. Mm. To be like, I don't need an editor. I don't need anybody to promote this. Oh, well, I mean, if all you're trying to do is get to the, the 500 people who go to your church that you founded, I mean, it makes right. sense, I think. Um, and obviously, at that time, it was the movement was growing by a lot. Um, sure. All at once, but... Uh, One of his uh, followers says, I have no doubt that he lived a less than perfect life at certain points in time, Um, (laughs) but he was drawn to Santa Muerte for a reason, and without question, I consider Jonathan Ligaria to be a saint. And this is somebody who feels that prayer to Santa Muerte healed a herniated disc Mm -hmm. in his back Mm -hmm. because he didn't go to the doctor or anything. So, like, that's important to him. Given the length of... Ligaria's uh, list of enemies, many of whom believed he was a charlatan. Ooh. It is not surprising. Ten point word. Uh huh. <laughs> modern usage. You charlatan. You charlatan. I mean, they really did. Lots of people were like, "He's just full of shit," and he's like, you know, making these people believe in something that isn't true, and it's going to lead them to doom, and you know, all this stuff. Um, but he started having premonitions of his own death. And he was convinced that that's scary. He was gonna die, and according to his mother, Enriqueta Vargas, he would often um, be upset by her bringing up the topic. Well, okay, because he was like, "This is gonna happen. Like, I know it. I pre- I've predicted it. I've, I've had dreams and visions of it." And um, his prediction was fulfilled in the early hours of July thirty first, two thousand eight, as he left the radio station where he presented a regular slot devoted to Santa Muerte. A group of assassins with assault rifles fired round after round into his Cadillac Escalade. Why? Killing him on the spot. His two female passengers survived, although his pregnant friend lost her baby as a result of her wounds. 
and the murder devastated Ligaria's followers, who also faced the spiritual dilemma of why their saint had failed to protect their beloved leader. Um, well, I mean, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people reconciled that because the movement didn't die, obviously. Clearly. And she, I think most people were like, okay, well, it was his time. And, uh, and his well, yeah, mother, point. yeah, his, his mother was a devout Catholic who had long viewed her son's spiritual pursuits with suspicion, um, but she finally turned to the skeletal saint he had venerated. She said, I made a promise to Santa Muerte that if she delivered my son's killers, I would raise her name up and strengthen the cult. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So did she? She publicly accused various people of her son's murder. <laughs> but her own investigations led her to conclude that a federal agent called Emilio Gomez, alias The Knife, was behind the killing. According to Vargas, Gomez wanted revenge after the murder of his own sons the previous year. Oh. She believes that he mistakenly identified Ligaria as the killer. Oh, because um, he was reformed. Yes, because he was a religious leader of, of some kind. Um, so when Gomez himself was gunned down by unknown assailants in 2009, Vargas saw that as the fulfillment of Santa Muerte's um, promise. And she was like, all right, I believe you now. I believe in you totally and fully, and I'm here for this. And Whoa. she, um, yeah, she said, I won't tell you I had forgiven him. I'm going to hate him until the end of my life. Um, but at this point, she had taken control of the temple and um, basically was like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my son's place, and I am the head of Santa Muerte International. I guess it didn't really click with me until just now that he started it and now she's taken the yes. torch. Yeah. Okay. So she, she I didn't, thought they kind of went into it together, but no, 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 no. She didn't fully believe in it at first. Until, but has it still, has it been proven? Do we know for sure that that was the guy no. who, but she believes she that is it confident. is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She is confident. And that was enough for her that had, oh boy. that was meaningful and it made her, see what she needed to see in it. So by this point, um, okay, so she took she took uh, control of the temple despite the hostility of would-be leaders angling for the role. Uh-oh. Um, one told her that the devotees would never accept a woman in charge. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> of a church devoted to a female saint? Uh-huh. Got it. Uh-huh. Got it. Another man in his 20s claimed that he was Ligaria's son. Ligaria was 26 when he died. And this was a full-grown man? This was a full-grown man. Yes. So he... <laughs> <laughs> he claimed that he was his it was, son It's a miracle. Yes. Yes. But obviously the succession doubts were swept away by the force of Enriqueta's personality. She immediately saw that inclusivity was the devotion's most appealing and distinctive feature. Unlike the Catholic Church, which has, uh, she has always warmly welcomed um, divorced people or LGBT devotees. Mm -hmm. She says, I have tried to show how beautiful it is to respect everybody's sexual orientation. Neither skin color nor social status matter. Everyone here is brother and sister. She also tended to her practical duties um, after years of legal wrangling and threats of eviction from that, from the space that Santa Muerte International had always had. She finally won an appeals court ruling that allowed the group to keep the temple. Um, and now her current goal is to gain official recognition of the church, which by whom feels by the Catholic church. She wants the Catholic church to recognize Santa Muerte as a legitimate saint and not a, you know, devil, a demon. Because she's not a legitimate saint. She's called Santa Muerte, but she's not canonized. Like, she's just a, a yeah. you know, not right. a real person. Um, right. Yeah. You know. But aren't a lot of saints well, people so, who lived at one point? Yes, but Forget, in the... I'm so ignorant. Uh, well, in the... So in the Mexican Catholic tradition, so many saints and so many... They're called saints because you can't you can't be God, right? Mm -hmm. But the the from my understanding, many Mexican religions were polytheistic, mm -hmm. and so when the fucking Catholics came over and they were like, "You must all be Catholic now," bah, 
the people, the Latin American people living there went, okay, we'll be Catholic as long as, you know, we can be devoted to our specific saints and then they merged those saints. They kind of put with... a Christian spin on it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And and that's one thing that Christianity historically has been pretty good at doing. Like if you think about European Christians when and I don't officially mean this as a slight toward Christianity. I think it's super smart. But it's like when European Christians started trying to spread Christianity and many Europeans were pagans. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, how convenient that our big holidays. So Europeans were trying, they were trying to spread Christianity through Europe and many Europeans were pagan. And I mean, like Christmas and Easter, even like, especially the way it's celebrated today, they have so many pagan rituals included in yeah. it. Like Christmas, what? The fuck does a Christmas tree have to do with Bethlehem in fall? Because, you know, scholars are pretty sure that, you know, Jesus was likely born in September or October. Yeah. And, you know. Yes. You know, Yule logs. That's what the Christmas tree is. And you think about bunnies and fertility and eggs. That's Easter. But also, like, these are very significant things for Christians. But they made it easier for people to convert to Christianity by easing them into right. their own, like uh, incorporating their own traditions into it. Yes. Yes. Which is smart it's if you want to smart. include people in your religion. The difference is in the Latin Americas, yeah. it was not the, it was not the conquering Christians who made the, who did that. Right. It was the people, it was the indigenous population who said, okay, we'll accept your religion. We're going to continue worshiping our people in secret, but we're going to tell you that we're worshiping Saint blah, blah, blah. Right. So it, it was a little bit different in that it was the indigenous cultures who were incorporating incorporating their, they that. were just putting their stuff they were adding their traditions on top of instead yes. of the christians going no 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 it's cool do this they yeah. were going well if you want us to be part of this we're going to also have to put our spin on it too exactly cuz i think that in particular what very very little i know about like Latin American Catholicism, it is very spiritual in a particular way that is so not the German Catholicism that my dad was raised in. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. So. Exactly. Which I think there is, is awesome. A, there is a, a mystical element mm. to a lot of, a mm-hmm. lot of practice, um, a lot of practices. Yeah. Many devotees also identify with her story of personal loss mm. since she has firsthand experience of Mexico's staggering violence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's what, that's one thing that has made her somebody that people trust to lead their, you know, congregation. Yeah. Um, so more than 200,000 murders have been recorded in the city since 2006. How many? 200,000. Oh, that's so upsetting. Yeah. And and so Santa Muerte has taken hold in regions such as this one I can't pronounce, um, Ecatepec, um, that are plagued by violent crime. Hmm. Vargas has herself defied many death threats <laughs> since becoming leader and pursuing her son's killers. Um, when a masked man sent her a warning via an employee who he threatened with a pistol, she publicly v- vowed to continue her search for justice. Wow. This fearlessness and the rage behind it resonates deeply with her followers. I mean, it resonates with me. Yeah. She says, there would be no point shooting my heart because that is already destroyed. Oh. Shoot me in the forehead while staring in my eyes. That way, my look of contempt will stay etched on your memory. Holy shit. How fucking badass is that? This woman is made of steel. Yes. Um, Nerves of steel. Jesus yeah. Christ. So I'll end with these these couple paragraphs that Chestnut, Andrew Chestnut, wrote for HuffPost. Mm. Um, he says, beyond the historical significance of the first meeting of the leading figures um, of the fast-growing new religious movement in the Western Hemisphere, because they both met one another in 2016, mm-hmm. the encounter also highlights the paramount importance of gender in the devotion to death. Hmm. Along with Arely Vasquez, the, one, the woman in New York... 
The three top devotional leaders are women, and the saint herself is uniformly uh, uniformly considered female, even having such, quote, girly nicknames as white girl, pretty girl, and skinny girl. Um, having studied the devotion for the... Oh, sorry. It's okay. Having studied the devotion for the past six years, I have also observed that women and girls significantly out outnumber males at the public shrines and altars. Weird. The femicentric nature of devotion to Santa Muerte, of course, provides continuity within the larger Catholic landscape of Mexico, dominated by the world's most popular expression of Mary, the Virgin of Guadalupe. Yeah. An oft-heard phrase in Mexico is that Mexicans are 90% Catholic, but 100% Guadalupans. <laughs> um, that women devotees are venerating a female saint, quote saint, and assuming leadership positions at the highest levels of the movement is quite a contrast to both church and state in Mexico, where they can't become clergy and have never become president of the republic. In a country plagued by sexism and even femicide, devotion to death is one of the few spaces beyond the home where Mexican women can run their own show. And that is the priestesses of Santa Muerte. That didn't feel long at all. It was um, five pages, which is a page longer than <laughs> I, I normally it was, do. It was gripping. It was gripping. I was with you the whole time. Because they're current. This is, I mean, it's all happening now, and I would really love to go, I think it's in Queens, where Aureli Vasquez holds her congregation. Yeah, it would be cool to see. Um, it would be really cool to see, especially, it's, you know, mid-October. so many field trips we need to take. Well, this one will be soon. I think they'll be doing a, a Day of the Dead. Um, Dia de los Muertos. Mm -hmm. Devotional. Those are the five Spanish words I know, hearkening back to last week. <laughs> Dios de la Oh, wait, muertos. no, I knew Flaca. So. Flaca, that's true, you did. You did know that. Well, also, you were saying white girl, so they probably call her Blanca. Yep. I know that. Blanca, Flaca. Yep. And the bony lady. They call her the bony lady. I don't know what that is. The bony lady? Uh, <laughs> that so, yeah. was really cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Happy Hist Hispanic Heritage Month. It's And happy October. And happy October. Wasn't that kind of perfect for, like, totally. both? Totally. I was I was considering doing her later on. No, no, no. You know, for like a, you know, closer to Day of the Dead kind we of thing. We have plenty more witchy types yeah. to fill the rest of October with. This felt like the perfect mid-October and, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month kind of kind of I, thing. It's the the cap. It's isn't it? Good. Because it ends mm -hmm. like November or October 15th or 16th. Yep. So and we'll be on to our next. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Thanks, Han. Yeah, man. Do you yeah. want to hear some um, on, on this, this day? day? Yeah. Um, Lay right. it on me. So the first one, I thought this was appropriate, Ooh. 1868, Cuba revolts for independence against Spain. 1868. 1868. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yeah. And I believe um, Puerto Rico was either had done the same thing or was about to do the same thing. Revolt against, against Spain. Spain. Um, the 18... Yeah. 1871, the Great Chicago Fire is finally extinguished after three days, leaving approximately 300 dead, 110,000 homeless, and costing 20, $222 million in damage. Back then? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That's funny. We've had uh, two episodes now that have coincided with the end of fires, because the Great London Fire was one of mine recently, except for that one yeah. only claimed a few lives, which, well, how the hell? But I know. Chicago Fire was not pretty. No. No. So I thought I would temper it with the next one. Okay. Which is 1886. The first dinner jacket is worn uh, in, appropriately, Tuxedo Park, New York. This is where the tuxedo comes from. Wait, what? <laughs> the first dinner jacket is worn to an autumn ball in Tuxedo Park, New York. Do people not wear dinner jackets before that? Well, the, I, they What either, does that mean? People they, dressed up before yes, them. Yes, that's what that means. The first <laughs> dinner jacket was worn. It was like the dinner jacket became a thing in Tuxedo Park. And either it's called the tuxedo because it was worn in Tuxedo Park, or Tuxedo Park is called Tuxedo Park because they called the dinner, the dinner jacket a tuxedo. I'm not sure. I always yeah. wondered why Tuxedo Park had that name in New York, and now I know. You kind of know. Kind of know. Kind of know. There's a little bit. 1889. This you is will, October 10th, right? October 10th. You will appreciate this. Barnard College is founded Aha. in New York after Columbia U University refuses to accept women. Yep. 
Something and we it know. still exists. Yes, ma'am. I think there's a lot more crossover these days. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, this one I did not look into. I kind of wish I had. Uh huh. 1892, uh, the entire Hong Kong national cricket team dies in a shipwreck off Taiwan. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? I Wait, just, what year is this? 1892. I included that because I just thought that was so like, whoa. I, I saw it, and I was I so fascinated. I wish you had looked into this. How did the ship wreck? <laughs> I know. I wish I had, too. I don't know. Was it a storm? I'm dumb. I was it pirates? It. I don't know. Did it run aground? I don't know. Someone should make did a movie about it. Did it run into a rock? So I can know. Which is kind of running aground. <laughs> oh, my God. Did it get... Are you done? No. <laughs> no. You know how I feel about shipwrecks, Hannah. I do. I forgot. No, you didn't. I it's mean... It's very subconscious that you... I know, it kind of is, yeah, because I didn't think about it, but I was like, Deanna will be interested in this, but I didn't think about why. Okay, 1903, the Women's Social and Political Union was formed by Emmeline Parkhurst, Pankhurst, okay. to fight for women's rights in Britain. Wait, what year? 1903. All right. Yeah. Was that the movie Suffragette? Is that what that? <laughs> Maybe. Mm. I never saw it. Me either. <laughs> oh, Okay. But it was. It was the British suffragettes, that yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. And how racist they were. This one's kind of funny only because it makes me think of um, Trump's Space Force. Uh -oh. uh, but October 10th, 1967, the Outer Space Treaty is signed. It's a treaty on the principles governing the activities of states in the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, and it's signed by the United States and the Soviet Union. Um, Which is a, a big deal then. Uh-huh. A rough guide to what that treaty means is for military use, uh, an undertaking, it was an undertaking not to place in orbit around the Earth, install on the moon, or any other celestial body or otherwise station in outer space, nuclear, or any other weapons of mass destruction. Let's hope we stick to that. Uh-huh. It limits the use of the moon and other celestial bodies exclusively to peaceful purposes. Just for scientific exploration. Just for scientific expo exploration. Is, is the United States the first to announce, like, we're going to make a military branch for space? Probably not. I mean, didn't Reagan do that? Or no? What was, what was Reagan's thing? Star Wars. Star Wars. Wait, no. Yeah. Wait, what? Yes, that was Reagan. Star Wars. Wait, what? Reagan wanted to have Star Wars. He wanted to put lasers in space. Oh, my God. He wanted to put fucking lasers yeah, in space. but he never did it. This is why Trump loves fucking... This is why everyone loves Reagan. Because he said all this shit that everyone was like, Yeah, make United States the best state, the best place ever. And put lasers in space. Blah, blah. Blah. blah and really, blah. he was like doing some dumb shit. Anyway. Eddie Quartz. 1991. October 10th. October 10th. This is where the phrase going postal comes from. Oh, yep. Former U.S. postal worker Joseph Harris kills two former co-workers at the post office in Ridgewood, Ridgewood, New Jersey. The night before, he killed his former supervisor with a three-foot samurai sword and shot her fiancé in their home. How... Where did you come across a samurai sword? I don't know. I don't know. Because you can order them online easily these days, but back then I feel like that had to be a very specific search. Yeah, you're going somewhere very, yeah, very intentional. Um, his murders were one of many committed by postal workers. This is what the sentence says. I'm not sure what that means, like what it's referring to. But um, They get frustrated in their job. Yeah, so it resulted in the phrase going postal. Um, I thought this one was of interest. Uh, October 10th, 2002, Bush, uh, it's decided that he can unilaterally declare war on Iraq. So the U.S. House of Representatives has voted to authorize President Bush to unilaterally declare war against Iraq. So that's super fun. So I'm, that's it. That's what happened on this day in history. Lots of stuff happened on this day, but I just didn't, I couldn't put it all. October's a very busy, it's like, I don't know. It's weird because we started this podcast in February and it mm -hmm. seems like in like July, exponentially things have just shot up. Yes. People go crazy in summer and then it continues into early fall. And it'll probably, we'll see, like <laughs> yeah. tamp back down in holiday season. But that's that. That is that. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah.
And t- now, <laughs> I'm excited about it's this themed. week. It's a very themed, because I figured that would be so perfect for October. Yes. And it's something that I, um, I binged watched in September. So it was really funny that when we brought I it up. I haven't seen it all. When so. we brought it up with you two yesterday, mm-hmm. you were like, oh, we just started watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alex watched it ages ago. And was like, you need to watch this show. It's so cool. So it's Dark Tourist. It's on Netflix. Um, D- David Farrier is his name? Yeah. Yeah. So he's the the Kiwi journalist who did uh, Tickled. So his which whole, is a fucked up which documentary. Which is a crazy documentary. Which we made you guys watch. Yeah. Guys watch, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's worth watching if you haven't seen it. But it's wild. Uh, a crazy ride from start to finish. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, but he, his whole career has basically been on, uh, reporting on the weirder side of things. And so Dark Tourist is basically him going around. So like a a little bit of a warning for those of you who aren't really into like dark themes and, and sort of macabre macabre stuff. Like he goes and, and when he tours Dallas, for example, it's like a bunch of JFK assassination themed things. Like, cause there's a lot of tourism about that. Um, there's like some crazy shit in Cambodia that you can go theoretically shoot at live targets if you want to, if you pay enough money. Uh, and he tests that theory out and, he gets himself into some really fascinating situations and yes, it's just, he goes to New Orleans and finds people who think that they're vampires. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's like, so the, the person who I, the people who I talked about today are somebody he profiles briefly in the first episode. In the episode. first episode, yeah. And... I think that kind of gives you a good sense of what he's looking for. Like he's looking for a lot. He's looking for other tourists and other t- specific tourist experiences yeah. that are already there. Like he's not just going and looking at stuff that like are macabre. He's looking at things that other tourists do and yeah. other like other tourists. I don't know. So that's what's really int- that's the angle of it for me. That's really fascinating and also super creepy at times because oh, yeah. the, the fact that like. He's a newbie to all of this, but there are other people who do this all the fucking time. Well, what made me think of it last week is uh, he does like a Jeffrey Dahmer tour. Oh. And it is crazy. Oh, no. And it's like amazing. They, it, the, uh, the hugest portion of dark tourists who come on these Dahmer tours, there's like bachelorette parties. What? And it's all young oh, God. women. Who it's like they they he interviews some of them and they view Jeffrey Dahmer as like the ultimate bad boy and it's like you know he was gay and killed a bunch of people and ate them right and it wasn't like sexy cannibalism like Hannibal the TV show uh-uh. it was like this dude just wanted to make living zombies and so he was trying to figure out the best way to do that right because he was creepy and and awkward and like didn't know what he was doing with people right that's not one of my grad school professors saw jeffrey dahmer multiple times when he was uh going to gay clubs in the 80s and he was like i'm really glad and feel very lucky that i was not his type but uh i didn't know at the time he said that he saw him and he was like it was just this handsome tall nordic guy he said who had the most intense um It was about, like, eye contact, but it was about, like, hunter vision, like, stalking. But he was, like, you know, very frequently in the 80s, you would see, like, dudes come in trolling to have sex. And so they had this sort of hunter sort of, like, vision, like, they'd hone in on a person. But it was purely sexual. It had nothing to do with actual murder. And he, like, saw him and was like, whoa, that guy is a very intense predator just for sex. Like, I, I don't even mean that God. in, like, a sexual predator way. Just in, like, the you're the you're pursuing yeah. sex. And he would, like, you he would see his eyes, like, scanning the room and, like, hone in on somebody. And, like, Jesus that's it. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Dark Tourist is a really fun show. Yeah. If you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. Just, like, you know, go in with some, you know, trepidation or whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> dear friends, <laughs> please leave us reviews. Great. Review. Rate, subscribe. Review, subscribe. Say Send hi. Send us emails. Yep. 
um, gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Gwbbpodcast on all branches of social media. Yes, I'm. That you can think of, except yep. maybe LinkedIn. We don't have a LinkedIn, because why? Why? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's, that does it. Until next week. Peace out, witches. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for our listening. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, mm-hmm. all of that. It's great. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter at GWBB Podcast. Instagram is the same. And we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. Hey guys, you know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, The link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See, See how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our Ko-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> so that is ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Um, coffees start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by Pine. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.